Thank you for joining us for episode 389 of Live Happy Now. Not everyone feels that work and happiness go hand in hand, but today's guest believes that not only can you find happiness at work, but you must. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week I'm sitting down with Tia Graham, a certified chief happiness officer, founder of the company Arrive at Happy, and author of the new book, Be a Happy Leader. Tia has multiple certifications in neuroscience, positive psychology, and leadership coaching, and she works with executives and teams to help create happier workplaces. Today, she's here to teach us how we can find more happiness at work. Tia, thank you so much for coming on Live Happy Now. Thank you for having me. You know, work has long been a challenge for people. <laughs> and it's it's so important because it's something that we spend most of our time doing. And yes. there's a lot of unhappiness in the workplace. And I wondered in your studies and your research, what made you decide to focus on leaders in the workplace? Yes. So prior to starting my company, Arrive at Happy, I was a director of sales and marketing, a leader in the luxury hotel industry in different places in the United States and Europe. So I was a leader of teams for 14 years and positive leadership was always very, very important to me. I took it as you know an honor leading people. And in my 14 years of leadership in the hotel industry, I had some incredible inspirational, happy leaders. And I also had the complete opposite. You know, I had some toxic very negative leaders. And one of my big missions is to, is to have more happy leaders in the world of work. And then when I started researching the levels of disengagement with leaders, that was another big motivation. And also, you know, the science of happiness isn't extremely well known within, you know, corporate America. And so, yeah, lots of motivation to bring this into work. And what is the difference between unhappiness at the leadership level and unhappiness at the employee level? Have you seen any differentiation? So it's actually quite similar. Um, and this is all of the Gallup research. There's a little bit more disengagement at the employee level, but it's pretty close. And in terms of people who are actively disengaged in both groups, it's around 13 to 15%. Wow. So really everyone's interconnected. Because you tend to think that leaders, at least from an employee standpoint, employees think, well, they should be happier. They're making more money. <laughs> you know, they get to take some time off for golf, whatever it is. You know, they, it seems like leaders should have it a little bit easier when it comes to happiness. They're in a little bit more comfortable position. Yeah. And there is some correlation, like how you referenced being able to play golf. There is some correlation between how much money you make and how happy you are and, you know, having less stress and anxiety about money. And really some leaders have more time affluence, right? They have more time for friends and family, for hobbies, et cetera. Also though, with leadership comes more stress, more anxiety, more pressure. And so, you know, there, there's different challenges as well. well. In the leaders that you have, have worked with that you've seen is that happiness kind of an innate thing that they are naturally happy people and they bring it to the workplace? Or is it something that they've had to work at? So the research shows, and this aligns exactly with all of the companies that I've been working with over the past six years, is there's a group of people who are more genetically predisposed to be happier. And, you know, life circumstances do play a part. 
but there are some leaders who actively make choices that increase their well-being and create sustainable well-being. And then there are some leaders who who do not, right? Who do not prioritize their own happiness and focus on their, whether it be their physical well-being, emotional well-being, you know, mental health, the psychological investing in their relationships. So as I said, a little bit genetically predisposed, but then, you know, the, there are some people who truly make this a priority and focus on it and others who, who don't. And what kind of outcomes do you see in the leaders? Like what are the differences in the outcomes they see in their workplace? So a leader who is happy at work is more productive. So they work faster and they work smarter. They are more creative and innovative as their brain broadens and builds with more positive emotions. They have higher rates of employee team member loyalty, less unwanted turnover. Motivation within the team is higher. Sales are higher. There's a direct correlation between sales and the customer service scores are higher as well. And that all translates to the engagement scores, which most companies do engagement surveys once a year. And there's actually a cost to the company of unhappiness and stress in the workplace. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Whether it be the cost of recruiting, hiring, training, the cost of, you know, knowledge drain when people leave, the cost of customer unhappiness or customers not being satisfied and then putting that out on social media or choosing not to come back to that business as well. And, you know, there's this huge phenomenon happening called quiet quitting where people are doing the bare minimum, right? And you think about the cost of productivity there, which directly relates to engagement. And there is also the cost of potential revenue. You know, the research shows that when sales or business development professionals are happy while they're working, they'll sell 37 to 45% more. So if you have a lot of your sales force that isn't feeling that great, they're not making as much money for the organization as well. That's so interesting because I think if more people equated the financial outcomes with with happiness, they might kind of change the approach. So how do people start changing that mindset? Because obviously this has to start at the top for you to yes. have your organization. So yes. how do they start changing that? Yes. So the world of work is changing fast and for the better. I'm actually very optimistic about where it's going and how it's going to benefit humans globally. And there are some organizations like Deloitte, for example, has a chief well-being officer at the very top, Jen Fisher. So leaders at the top, you know, if you think about the CEO and the executive team is first to understand about positive psychology, the science of happiness and the neuroscience behind happiness, and also understand and be motivated by the direct connection between happy employees and business outputs to see the correlation, how it directly affects the bottom line, right? Just what we were talking about earlier, and then be committed to creating a positive work culture and focusing on supporting the whole being all different aspects of people's lives and 
in addition to continuing to focus on productivity and output and driving results, focus equally as much on the relationships and how people feel, cultivating a sense of belonging, making sure that people have psychological safety, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and so on, and really investing in leadership training and development, as well as measurement to make sure that people are feeling happy, they're feeling engaged, and that you know the executive team can see, can be proactive if there's an area of need, if there's a leader that's not creating this type of culture. So what do people do in situations where maybe you have an organization and the top leader, whether the CEO, owner, whatever it is, is not happy, is not going to be happy, is not going to buy into this? How then does a team underneath that start making it happen? Because that's something I have seen a lot of where you have a leader who is a bully, really. And it's a situation where, you know, they want things done a certain way and they don't care about happiness. They don't care about well-being. They just want it done. So how does the rest of the team then create an environment can kind of override that? Yes, such a great question. I was in that exact situation when I worked for five hotels in New York City and the leader above me was just as you described. And then I had a team that worked for me that, you know, I truly wanted to create a a bubble. And so the first step is to know that even though everyone at the top might not be a happy, positive leader, it doesn't mean that you can't create a positive culture within your team. And to never underestimate the ripple effect that you have with your coworkers and with the people that you work with, because emotions are contagious. Mirror neurons in our brain have us feel the way that other people are feeling around us, whether it be virtual or in person. And so just to remember that, you know, you truly can have a positive effect on people and to look at strategies and tools for you to contribute to make the team happy as well as make yourself happy. And there's a wonderful book by Dr. Annie McGee called How to Be Happy at Work. So for anyone listening who's not necessarily a leader, but really wants to increase their happiness at work, there's a lot of great actions in there, proven actions in there for how you can increase your well-being, even if maybe, you know, the CEO or executives aren't that happy. That's great. And that's great to know there's a resource out there for that because that is becoming more and more important for people. And especially with Gen Z entering the workforce, I I think that's really going to change the way that leaders have to create an environment because Gen Z places such an importance on mental health. Yes. Do you think that is going to help turn this tide too and help us realize like we we really need to foster a culture of, of happiness and creativity? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the levels of anxiety and chronic stress, overwhelm, burnout with different generations, even including teenagers, that it's bringing to the forefront a need to focus on mental health. You know, of course, there's been so much focus on physical health over the years. And Mm -hmm. yet, you know, mental health now is really, really coming into the foreground. And leaders and people need to go farther than maybe suggesting meditation or saying, okay, here's a, you know, discount to a yoga class where you live or that sort of thing. 
but to really actually create safe spaces where people can have vulnerable conversations. And I can't help but think of the wonderful Brene Brown of talking about having hard conversations at work. And recently I heard the CEO of Microsoft speak at this conference called the future of work. And he was talking about, he shares with his team when he's not doing well mentally, you know, and I'm like, okay, if the CEO of Microsoft can talk about this, when he's (laughs) feeling extremely stressed or he's feeling very anxious, you know, everyone should be able to. So, you know, the old paradigm of it's sort of like game face for work, do not show emotions, you know, be strong, have your work face is not working for people right now. Right. I don't think it will, that people need to be authentic, of course, still be professional, but to be authentic and to have vulnerable conversations about how people are really doing. Yeah. That is a big shift to turn around, but it is slowly listing toward that side. <laughs> so yes. That It'll take good. time. It will. And what about people who are workers, but they're working from home? So yes. they have a different kind of, of struggle. What yes. about workers? How do they apply these things? Yeah. So for people who are working at home, there's benefits. And of course, there's challenges, right? So a lot of people are loving that they have more time back don't necessarily have to commute. Maybe they can get a quick workout in at lunch. Maybe they can eat lunch outside, you know, give their kid a kiss and a hug when they get home from school, et cetera. So first step I would say is savor and recognize and, you know, have gratitude for the blessings that are are in your life with that working from home. And also recognize that the challenges include feeling more disconnected and some people even feeling, you know, isolated And so being intentional about creating human connection moments. So human connection is the number one driver of happiness, right? Spending time with people you care about, who care about you. So whether that be video calls, walking meetings, sending little video chats, having that human connection piece is really, really important. Another potential driver of unhappiness from working at home is sort of that work scope creep, you know, it can creep into every part of your day. So having very clearly defined boundaries of when you're working and when you're not working and making sure that the habits that help us stay healthy, like good sleep, you know, good food, meditating, exercise, time for hobbies, time for learning, spending time with friends and family, loved ones, et cetera, that you honor those. And I recommend, you know, scheduling them. I joke. I'm like, I schedule everything. I schedule meditation. I schedule date nights with my husband. If not, it's very easy to, to just keep working. And so, yeah. And I would say, you know, at home, as much as you can also incorporate, you know, if you can get a standing desk, if you can have a little more movement and keep your body healthy at home to do that as well, but really focus on the human connection piece, whether you're working in at home or in an office, how do you then reach out to someone who is working remotely or another coworker to help them have that same experience? How do you help them along in their happiness journey? Yes. So, I mean, one just resource that pops in my head is if you have someone on your team who, or that you work with that you see is struggling, or maybe could use some more happiness and well-being, I would highly recommend people take the free Yale happiness class by Dr. Lori Santos. It's a great resource of sort of this introduction to positive psychology or the science of happiness. 
Another great resource is the book Happier by Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar, who I actually studied with for a year. He's a fantastic teacher. I speak on this multiple times a month, and most people aren't that familiar with the science of happiness. So really just starting to share those resources. And a very simple question is when you're connecting with people to say, how are you doing really, you know, and truly being present you know, for someone that, you know, is not doing so well. And they're kind of like, I'm fine. Is I would say, open up and share maybe some challenges that you're going through right now. And by being vulnerable, they might feel safe to do the same. But I think just checking in with people is really, really important. Yeah. And that's something we got away from during the pandemic. And it, it feels like a lot of people are having trouble going back to that that check-in, would you say that's what you're seeing? Yes. Yes. I mean, during the, the height of the pandemic, when everyone was so isolated, right. It was like this constant is everyone is okay. Is everyone okay. And even though life is more open now, there are a lot more experiences that we can do. There's still a continuum of people feeling lonely and feeling isolated so I would, yeah, say reach out as much as you can. And obviously technology has made all this possible, our ability to work remotely and connect remotely. But how does technology also negatively affect our happiness and our stress levels? And then yes, such a great, <laughs> thank you for bringing this up. Such a great question. Yes. So the research shows that, you know, too much technology and especially too much time on social media increases human anxiety and increases levels of sadness and depression. So it's about being very intentional and cognizant about how and when you're using technology. So in my keynote talks, I talk about being very intentional about the content that you consume. So obviously this podcast is a fantastic of of content. Like this is a great type of content for people to consume. But, you know, if you are watching and checking the news throughout the day on your smartphone, it's going to make you less happy and more anxious. So maybe you have one or two times a day where you check. I tell people never watch the news on television because it makes you 31% more negative for the rest of the day, but stay informed, read about the news but it can consume you and it can make you feel very negative and anxious. Also in terms of email, right? Having setting boundaries for yourself that, you know, for example, my two young daughters go to sleep around 8.30 PM. I try to have connected time with my husband and not sit and do email from 8.30 to 10 at night. You know, I really try and have that as focus on our relationship time. So Again, it's being very intentional and also noticing how you feel engaging with the different technology pieces. You know, I tell people, if you, if you get off Facebook and you're full of anger, (laughs) maybe you need to unfollow a lot of accounts or maybe you just need to not get to be on Facebook, you know, so you watch a cat video, right? Exactly. So yeah, I, I say nourish your brain the way you nourish your body. It's so important, especially the emails. I'm glad you brought that up because that gets overwhelming and being able to put limits and boundaries on that in itself is just a huge thing to be able to do. 
Yes. So, as we let you go, where do people start as they walk away from this? What is the one thing that they can do today to apply one of your principles in the workplace to start making it a, a happier place for them? Yes. So one place to start is to increase the amount of specific appreciation that you give to others. You know, people, adults are not acknowledged enough in life or in work. And when you give specific appreciation for something that they did for you, a way that they took care of a customer, whatever it is, they are going to be filled with happiness and you're going to feel happier because you deliver that information, whether it be verbally or written, et cetera. And I would say, you know, whatever team you're a part of is increase that type of communication where people are appreciating each other more and everyone's happiness will rise. That's terrific. Tia, your book gives us a lot to learn. I'm going to tell all our listeners how they can get it. We'll have something on the website about it. But thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us today. You're doing some really important work. And I'm glad you took 30 minutes out of your day to be able to spend this time with us. Oh, thank you. Well, you can't see me right now, but I have a huge smile on my face. So thank you for having me. Thank you. That was Tia Graham, author of Be a Happy Leader. If you'd like to learn more about Tia, follow her on social media, access some of her great tools online, or buy her book, visit our website at livehappy.com and click on the podcast tab. And as we begin November and enter the season of giving, Live Happy has a whole new way to share your happiness with others. Brand new in the Live Happy store is our giving plate, which you can use to pay it forward to others. Just fill it with your favorite treats and share it with a neighbor, your kid's teacher, a coworker, or anyone else in your life that you'd like to show appreciation to. The poem on our Live Happy giving plate encourages them to spread joy by doing the same for someone else. You can find it right now in the Live Happy store at store.livehappy.com. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Mm-hmm.